a Podcast One production. Welcome to the New South Wales Police State Crime Command Investigations, the official podcast of the New South Wales Police Force. I'm Adam Shand. In this series, we'll be sharing live cases and we invite you to get involved and help to bring justice long denied. We'll include investigations such as cold case homicides, sex crimes and unsolved mysteries. Our first episode is a long-term missing persons case. If anything in this story sparks a memory for you, please get in touch with Crime Stoppers or your local police. In the early hours of July 18, 2001, 18-year-old Passy Reyes walked out of her family's home in Mona Vale on Sydney's northern beaches. The Year 12 student has not been seen since, nor made any contact with her family. Yet her mother Margaret has never given up hope she will return. Do you believe your daughter Passy is still alive? Yes. Why? Because I know what happened to her. It was something really unusual. She was stressed with the HCC, yes. That was difficult for her to deal with. Then the other part is she knows how strong we are and she knows that she's very strong and she's capable of planning her getaway. Four in the morning, I heard she was having a shower. And I came and opened the door and it was really steam, hot, very hot shower, okay? So, and I said to her, honey, because we were gonna go to do a job for me in the city and it was gonna be a work experience. So we were planning to leave at seven in the morning, okay? And this is at four. So I said to her, honey, why are you having a shower this hour when we are not leaving until seven o'clock? Why did you waking me up? And she didn't answer. As Margaret went back to her bedroom, she saw that Passy's door was open. The formal dress she'd bought for her was laid out on the bed. It was a floral silk dress in yellow, green and blue with a split up the side. Margaret called out to Passy to clean up her mess Passy replied, I like my mess. Margaret replied, you're going to kill me. And I went back to bed and I said, what am I going to do? And the water is still running and then it stopped. And I said, oh, good. You know, now she's going back to her room. But then, you know, five minutes later, I heard the main door being closed, a big slam. I went, shh, what happened? And I came out and I said, Passy, and nothing. She didn't answer. So I went and said to Tommy, darling, your sister is gone. Please go and find her. I don't know where she is. Go and find her quickly. She got up and came to my room and said, get up, get up, you know, hurry up. Passy's gone, screaming at me. And I, I literally was five seconds. It was out there around the corner onto the street. I couldn't see her. And you can see for 100 metres one way, 100 metres the other way where we live. So... 
I didn't think of her at the time. I was like, how did she get away so quickly? You know, I just thought I missed her and I ran back down and told mum to get in the car and go searching on the beach. We were calling out and we were looking and we were very slowly with folks of us just looking to see where she could go. So patiently, you know, calmly looking. So stressed out, yes, but thinking we're going to be seeing her just here standing, you know, and then nothing. I got out and there was a, yeah, a lot of mist in the air and I um, remember that clearly and I was calling out a name and Patsy, Patsy and just yelling and, you know, no response. And um, and then so I said to mum, let's go up to the headland because I thought maybe she did think about committing suicide. So we went up to the headland of Monobau and then I got out and just looking all over and calling her out. Mum as well, and we, you know, walked up on the path and close to the cliffs or whatever. It was dark and just yelling out to her. And I don't know how long it was, but it was, you know, we got back in the car and then called the police. To understand what this family was going through, we must go back to traumatic earlier days when Passy and Thomas's lives were impacted by family violence. Okay, she born in Mexico in 1983. I was married to a Mexican lawyer. He wanted to come to Australia. Very wealthy family. The father was the leader of the opposition at the time. They were very powerful family. We came to Australia. We came with Passy three months. And, uh, and my husband could not find a job as a lawyer. And his family was very upset for us to be here. I came here because we have really bad relationship, domestic violence to the max. So I thought here he will not drink and he will not have the friends and the family who will uh, be pressuring him and he can be working here and be happy. So here he could not find a job as a lawyer and then he started very aggressive and very violent. And he went to Mexico and got his family support so he could come back to Australia and abduct my children. The abduction of the children involved the creation of forged passports, purportedly signed by both parents. So he took my children with false passport. He got the passports in Monterrey. Monterrey is a large city in Mexico. They never born in Monterrey. My daughter born in Guadalajara. So he got false passports based on people over there got the passport to Australia and got a lawyer with him and abducted my children. Passy was one year and a few months and Tommy was 11 months. So I was still breastfeeding Thomas. They went to the airport, they took a flight to LA and they went to Mexico City. They landed in Mexico City because in Mexico City they were protected by the leader of the opposition over there and my family could not find them in Guadalajara. So that's what happened in 1985. A four-year struggle ensued as Margaret fought to regain her children. The Australian Family Court gave me the custody and guardianship to my children so I can go back to Mexico and find them and get them back to Australia. Powerful and corrupt forces were working against her. She believes it was a miracle that she was not simply eliminated. I was always threatened. So many times 
in Guadalajara. They chased me, they put me out of the car, they pushed me, they crashed my car, they stole my car. Even if when I was with the children, they didn't care, they come in the door, they slammed the door, the police came, they didn't care, he owned the police. I could not do anything. They hit me, he hit me, he threw me on the floor, he will go, I will go to the hospital. So, but then something really could happen. He had a motorbike accident, he died, and I came back to Australia. With her tormentor dead, Margaret took the chance to escape Mexico with her children. This is 1989. My shoes were abducted was 1985. So I have four and a half years fighting in Mexico. So when I come back, I have to change my children's name and my name so my family and the in-laws will not find me. They will not know where to look for me. So that's what I got, Reyes. Gradually, life returned to normal. At the time of the disappearance, Margaret had settled in the bottom floor of a duplex on Baron Joey Road, Monavale, with Passy and younger brother Thomas. The ocean was on their doorstep, and Passy and Thomas embraced the beachside life. They did nippers at the local surf club and played sports. Passy attended Pitwater High School and excelled at art. But she was a quiet, withdrawn, self-sufficient sort of person. It wasn't easy for people, even her mother, to get inside Passy's head. And now Margaret had lost her for a second time. Yep, so my name is Jason Ferns. I'm a detective sergeant at State Crime Command. And I've been in the New South Wales Police for about 21 years. So Passy came... On my desk, I was a detective senior constable at the Northern Beaches uh, local area command. And back in 2011, there was a big push by the New South Wales Police to get a number of long-term missing persons um, retested for DNA, and that would be by getting family members of the missing person and having... DNA obtained from the family member um, in an attempt to maybe use different techniques that had advanced, such as mitochondrial um, and other techniques like that. These DNA samples would be compared with unidentified remains on file in New South Wales. I tracked down Passy's mum and I took the DNA from Passy's mum, but obviously in doing that before I made contact, Passy was a real person to me. I wanted to know everything about her, so I started doing a lot of research on her because she went missing back in 2001, so I wanted to show her the respect that she deserved. Diaz Ferns began analysing the timeline of the investigation. It was basically a whole brief of evidence that police had accumulated over the years. There was a lot of information in there, I do remember that, and the, the local police at the time back in 2001 really gave a really good crack at trying to find this young lady, and they did an exhaustive search of the local area. The first 48 hours in a missing persons case are crucial, and police look towards the water. That would be the normal assumption, that um, police would automatically go that she has possibly gone into the water. The police, the following day, they had Polair, which is the police helicopter, they had them do a complete coastal sweep of the water, inland water. They also contacted Broken Bay Water Police, which looked 
along the coastal area, but the police also notified Westpac Helicopter and also New South Wales Lifesavers with the description of Passy. So a full sea search was done as best they could and a more comprehensive inland search was also conducted by police. The file recorded a sighting at 4.45am, just 15 minutes after Passy left home. A local bus driver reports seeing a female with Passy's description and she was wearing very similar clothing and she was walking along Baron Joey Road, Monavale, near the intersection of Bassett Street, Monavale. Now that intersection is only about 500 metres away from Passy's home. An actor reads the evidence given by that driver, Brian Raymond Sansom. I was driving along Baron Joey Road towards Monavale, towards the city. In the lane next to the gutter, I saw a young girl walking along the gutter away from me. Her back was to me. She was actually walking uh, on the, the lower part of the gutter, not the top of the footpath side. She was basically on the road. I, I saw that this girl was young, wearing a, a lime green coloured formal looking dress, which I thought was odd for that time of the morning and, and where she was. I can't remember much about her other than that. Uh, I remembered slowing down to nearly a stop because I wasn't sure if she wanted to catch the bus or not. I can't remember if I opened the doors or not, but she didn't get on. I went past her slowly and, and drove on. I continued the route to the city. I don't recall seeing her with anyone else. This sighting came to light after Passy's mother had posted a photograph of her daughter at the local bus depot. More would come from another bus driver at a later date. At 7am on the morning of Passy's disappearance, another piece of evidence was discovered. Just after dawn, tax accountant John Cregan was heading down his back stairs for a morning swim. His home backed onto Basin Beach at Mona Vale. He noticed some items of neatly folded clothing on the second step from the bottom. Nothing unusual. Swimmers and surfers often left clothes there as it was above the tide line. When I returned from my swim about 10 minutes later, I saw that the clothes were still there. I glanced up and down the beach and into the surf. There was no one on the beach. I think there was a couple of bodyboarders in the surf. Two days later, at 9am, Cregan was back on the beach and the clothes were still in the same spot untouched. This time he took the clothes back home to see if he could find their owner. The clothes that I took inside were a black cotton jacket and a green, blue and yellow silky formal dress. I went through the pockets of the jacket to try and determine the identity of the owner. The only contents were a chain and a silver locket with a watch inside. Later that day, Cregan saw Passy's photograph in the Manly Daily newspaper and called police. The clothes were confirmed as Passy's. The silver locket and watch were presents from her grandmother to remind Passy to be serious about whatever she did, life was short. The location was just 700 metres from Passy's home and 200 metres from the corner where the bus driver had spotted her. From what police knew, it appeared that Passy had gone direct to Basin Beach after she left home. But then another intriguing possibility emerged. I often saw Passy around the unit block and at soccer. She was an unsociable sort of person and walked around with her head down and I never saw her with friends. She appeared to have low self-esteem. She didn't appear to put any effort into her appearance and was very quiet and withdrawn. This is Amanda Townsend. She lived at 35 to 39 Darley Street, Monavale. Until recently, the Reyes family had also lived in this block of apartments. Margaret was still parking her car there. It's about a kilometre from their address at July 2001. 104 Baron Joey Road. 
An actor has voiced her evidence. On 17th of July 2001, I did some washing and hung it out on the clothesline at the back of the block. The following morning... The day Passy disappeared. I went to get my washing from the line and noticed that a black polo neck short sleeve top and a navy blue fleecy hooded thigh length jacket had been taken from my clothesline. The jacket was a blue fleecy jacket with a white lining in the hood of the jacket. It had a zipper front and really wide cuffs. The jacket was a size 14, which was really big on me. The top was a small medium size. Police also broadcast that clothing for police to keep a lookout for. They're also following up vacant and abandoned vehicles in the northern beaches, just in case she was living rough on the street. Um, And they also made contact with the city police. There's a lot of rough sleepers in some local parks in the city, just in case Passy was um, possibly sleeping rough. Until now, police believe that Passy had walked from her home direct to Basin Beach, where her formal dress was found. This was the most likely scenario based on the evidence. The stolen clothes raised another possibility, that Passy could have walked to her old home and taken these clothes before returning to Basin Beach and then onto points unknown, dressed in the stolen clothes. This just seems unlikely. The size 14 thigh-length jacket would have looked like a dress on the small teenager, and she could not have known the clothes were on the line in advance. Darley Street is a well-lit street lined with low-rise apartment blocks with a good view of the road. No eyewitnesses came forward, despite public appeals. So police concluded the theft of Amanda Townsend's clothes was a coincidence. Yet those missing clothes have never turned up, as far as I can ascertain. It's this kind of loose end that keeps hope alive for Passy's mum, that Passy did not take her own life that winter morning in July 2001. Everybody wants to convince me that all the time, but I have my ideas. <laughs> I know what I know, okay? And I have 18 years, nine and a half months, it's going to be 10. I have not given up hope, and that's kept me strong. Cassie Reyes has been missing since 2001. Her family believe she is still alive. If she is, police have no legal grounds to bring her home. Well, that's right. It isn't a crime to go missing. Detective Inspector Glenn Brown is the manager of the Missing Persons Registry. It's one of the um, difficulties we face quite regularly with missing persons investigations. People go missing for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes people go missing because they want to escape their lives. They want to start completely new lives. And it's something that we regularly come across in those circumstances where we do find people that have gone missing and they don't want people to know. We, in fact, can't tell the families where people are. We do have a responsibility to tell the families of missing people that we have located their loved ones safe and well, but we can't tell them where those people are. In Passy's case, there was no clear-cut reason for suicide early in the investigation. And more information came in supporting the idea that Passy was a runaway. At 11am on July 19th, one day after Passy's disappearance, a man named Gary Spaulding was driving a bus at the intersection of Wakehurst Parkway and Pittwater Road, Narrabeen, about five and a half kilometres from Passy's home. 
Spaulding told police that he saw a young girl with a striking resemblance to Passy. She was wearing a grey jumper with a red V-neck band, similar to the uniform of Pittwater High School where Passy attended. Four days later, he saw this person again on Pittwater Road, three kilometres from Passy's house. On both occasions, the person he saw was carrying a white plastic bag. Gary Spaulding said he was only about 30% sure he'd seen Passy, but it was still relevant to the investigation because Spaulding knew Passy personally. His daughter Chantelle had attended school with Passy from Year 7 and they grew to be close friends. On the 9th of July, Chantelle was away with friends but had spoken to Passy on the phone. She had rung me to speak about going up to the Gold Coast after completing Year 12. She said I might be going to Mexico instead of schoolies. I asked her why. She said, you guys only want me to go because I'm organising it. It's a load of garbage, I said. Of course we want you to go. This could be the last time we go away together. Passy promised Chantelle she would think about it. They continued chatting about old times they'd shared and the importance Passy placed on their friendship. She then said, I can't get close to people because they always let me down. She was crying as she told me this. She knew we were going away for the weekend and I said I'd call her when we got back. I received a call from my mum saying Passy just called and said all these things and that I was a good friend. I said to mum, that's weird, she knew we were away. I left her at that and thought I'd call her when we got back. We arrived back to Sydney but I went over to our friend's house to stay so I just thought I'd call her in a few days. Margaret called me at our friend's house asking if I had spoken to her or seen her. I said no, but she was maybe at the library or at the school art room and to let me know when she comes home. Her mum didn't tell me at that stage that Passy had left in her formal dress. She called me back later and said, I've called the police, they will send a chopper out in 24 hours. That hit then, it was serious. I feel I took friendships for granted and should have been a better listener. If I was the only person she was saying these comments to, maybe she wanted my help. If Passy Reyes was alive after July 18, she did not reach out to anyone close to her. She left her wallet, key card and passport behind in her bedroom. If she was out there, Passy was relying on her own resources. Yeah, Passy is a normal young 18-year-old girl and when the police put out media releases, um, there was an abundance of alleged sightings of Passy and they followed every one of those sightings down. There were interstate sightings and police followed every one of those sightings to finality. I mean, that's what you have to do. Reports came in that Passy was seen at Bondi Beach and in inner-city Darlinghurst. Police surveillance operatives were posted over a number of days with no success. There was some bizarre ones that Passy was some sort of exotic dancer at a local strip club, but the police followed that down and the, the timings of that were completely out and Passy wouldn't have been able to be out strip dancing because she was at home studying because she used to study every single night. And in saying this too, this is not to discourage any people in the community not to ring police, even if it's the slightest thing, it's important that members of the public, no matter how bizarre it is, you ring the cops and you tell them. 
Eight weeks after Passy went missing, DY police received a call from an electrician named Glenn Emricks. He said he'd worked on Passy's home over three days in the week before her disappearance. He'd just seen her in a cake shop in King's Cross, he told police. I was standing at the counter and Passy was three metres away buying bread rolls. I deliberately didn't speak to her as I believe she did not want to be found. I was served first and then Passy was served by another girl. I could not recall hearing what she said exactly. I do recall hearing that she had some sort of accent and that's when I twigged that it was Passy. Emmerich's had about five minutes to observe Passy and he claimed that he was 100% sure it was her. Her hair looked like it had been cleaned and brushed up as if she'd been to a hairdresser. Her face was clean, which was different when I'd previously seen her. She had a lot of acne on her face. She looked healthier than previous. I left the shop and started to walk back to where I was working. I went up the escalator in the mall and thought I would doubly make sure it was Passy. I then went down the adjacent escalator, but Passy was gone. At these moments, hope soared for the family. But as every lead was followed and eliminated, it dawned that Passy might not be coming home or did not want to return. So I, when she left, I was destroyed. I, I, I was full of life and happiness. I didn't know what depression was or the dark side of life. And I was uh, top of my class in academics, in sports as well. And I was, you know, flying high. And when she left, you know, I, it just teared my heart out. And, you know, I had a hole the size of the universe. And to tell you the truth, I still feel that hole. I haven't been able to fill it. And I guess I'll never will. The family has never given up searching for Passy. Margaret knew that Passy's father had corruptly obtained Mexican passports for the children when he abducted them from Australia in 1985. Had Passy chosen to be with her late father's family this time? Well, we went to Mexico and searched for her. Tommy more than me. He talked with the relatives and the only one who came <laughs> is the one who abducted him. You know, that he helped his father when he abducted him when he was a baby. There were international inquiries. We have international liaison officers for these because sometimes people do want to go missing, if that makes sense, like they want to start another life, which is, you know, an adult's right. They can do that. So the cops in this case, they did follow those international inquiries, but they didn't turn out to have any substance to them. Investigators built a picture of Passy's last days before her disappearance and a psychological profile emerged. Like a classic introvert, she really loved her space and um, me being an extrovert, my mum being an extrovert, very, really absorbed people's energy and, um, you know, looking back, could have been a contributing factor for her leaving, just that we're very outgoing and um, very talkative and very um, energy consuming and my sister is quite the opposite, you know, she she loved her space, loved her privacy and really loved the arts and she was creating a body of work for her um, final year for the HSC and it was, you could almost say like life and death, very uh, Mexican, like modern Australian, like a blend between the two. And um, we went to Mexico City, um, I think it was like 98. We went to the pyramids and saw uh, you know, a lot of that side of our culture. And uh, she just got swept by that. So that was um, really her, her thing with contrasting colours and bright colours, which is very Mexican. Passy was driving herself obsessively on her major project. She'd produced numerous pieces but discarded them and started over. Her teacher was concerned Passy had not settled on the theme of her work 
and the year was ticking by. I knew her and she'd always, like, if there was an easy way of doing something, she'd always find the hardest, you know, that's just the way she was. However, there was no inkling that she was in the midst of an existential crisis. Instead, Margaret firmly believes Passy was secretly preparing for a new life. She'd lie and lie and lie before she left. So many lies that I could not believe that she was lying to me so openly, you know, telling me that she would go for a swim, that she would not go for a swim, okay? Because if she goes on Sunday in a daylight and he says, oh, I'm going for a swim, you know, and the brother and I looking at each other saying, it's not time for the swim, it's very, very cold, but she's going for a swim, okay, fine. And she comes back 15 minutes later and she has not had a swim and she tells us that how lovely the water was, that we should go for a swim. And she's not freezing and she's not blue and she just come back happily ever after. And she just went and checked where she was going to leave those clothes neatly folded in this person's house. She just came back and we asked her, oh, how was the swim? And she was like, oh, it was nice and warm, you know, and, and it's strange. So, um, you know, those things sort of adding up to her leaving. July 17, mother and daughter spent the day together. We went to have her haircut and we were talking about the dance, what she was going to wear and the formal. And we went to the doctor. And I talked to the doctor and I asked the doctor if she can have a test for anemia because I was thinking she was more anemic because she was pale looking and she was not herself. On the way home in the bus, Passy's mood darkened. Nothing was coming out of her. She was only crying. But her tears were short-lived. The night before she left, we were watching the sitcom Everybody Loved Raymond and she was just really laughing and, you know, really vibrant. I actually went to the kitchen and mum, like, you know, indicated to me, like, something's up. She was being really loud and it was... I thought it was great, but I didn't realise what was yet to come. The New South Wales coroner held an inquest into Passy's case in 2008 and found that she had died on or about July 18, 2001. As to the place of her death and the manner, he could not make a finding on the evidence adduced. I guess, you know, they had a narrative they wanted to write to, for the coroner and uh, they've always maintained the position back then that she had swam out to sea and drowned herself. You know, for us, it's never been a possibility that she killed herself, but, you know, only recently I, I thought of the possibility that it might be that she has gone. Yeah. I haven't processed that yet. After a thorough review of the case, Detective Ferns leans towards a conclusion of suicide, but he has an open mind. I would say that there are three distinct um, possibilities that happened to Passy. I would say the first one would be that she's unfortunately decided to take her own life and committed suicide. A second one is on the morning, on the 18th of July, she went for a swim and she simply drowned. Um, or third, she wanted to go missing and she stayed missing. Police believe it's likely that Passy did take her own life. This is based on evidence of so-called cleansing rituals in her final days. It's said these rituals allow people to achieve some form of closure before their suicide. In Passy's case, the extremely hot shower at 4am. Leaving behind her formal dress and locket on the beach. And the ambiguous call to Chantelle's mother. 
I received a call from my mum saying, Passy just called and said all these things and that I was a good friend. I said to mum, that's weird, she knew we were away. And even her out-of-character behaviour at home in the hours before she left. I actually went to the kitchen and mum, like, you know, indicated to me, like, something that should have been really loud. This could also have been an elaborate setup to deceive her family. However, one passage in a police interview that Passy's mother gave in 2001 offered a glimpse of her daughter's possible intentions. Margaret was talking to Thomas. She said she felt like she was being followed. She said she felt like the Truman Show. I said, what happens in this show? And he said at the end, he goes into the ocean because he doesn't want people to follow him. And he comes back after he was missing. She said, tell me if I have a microchip and everyone is watching me. I took it light. I don't know how to deal with this situation. On the foreshore of Basin Beach and adjoining Monavale Beach, there are benches and seats that face the ocean. Some carry memorial plaques dedicated to people lost to the ocean in this locale. Stuart William Kelly, the 15th of January 1998. You are the reason to live life to all it can be. To live in the hearts of others is never to die. Alex Jarvis, May the 1st, 1983 to February the 25th, 2000. Beautiful young man, forever loved and missed. There's no plaque for Passy, no memorial. There's been no funeral or a gravestone. Her family is planning for her return. She is scared of what we will say. You need to have a lot of courage to go, need to have a lot of courage to come back because we will ask why. We will be crying and she will be crying. Everybody's going to be crying. Her friends to love her, you know, all the school, all my friends and my families, you know, all the families in Mexico, they will all love to have her back. But it's going to be an emotional roller coaster for everyone. And she will have to answer a lot of questions. She has to be strong to be able to do that. Like Margaret, Chantelle Spaulding believes her friend Passy is alive. She planted her dress at the beach, hoping that we would think she went swimming. She was a strong swimmer, so I don't believe she went in that water. Also, over the years, I had thought that Passy had definitely planned it. I always think about Passy and often think about the events, trying to think why I should do this. I still hope I see her one day. 20 years of waiting has not dimmed a mother's faith that she will see her daughter once more. Passy, I love you very much. Wherever you are, it's all right. I'm here for you. Whenever you're ready to see me, to see your brother, we welcome you with open arms. We love you very much. Every day is a new day and a new hope to see you, for you to be with us, to give you a good hug and a big close again together. I love you very much. There is no day that I don't think about you. I want to hear you. Hi, Mom. Hi, Pasi. I love you. If you can help police bring Passy home or provide an answer to this mystery, if you know anything, however insignificant, this is the moment to act. Please contact Crime Stoppers on 1800 All information provided will be regarded as confidential. 
If this story has raised issues for you, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. State Crime Command Investigations is a production of Podcast One Australia in collaboration with the New South Wales Police Force. Written and produced by Adam Shan. Executive producer, Grant Tothill. Original music and mixing by Matt Nikolich. The associate producer, Sarah Grinberg. Research by Nolly Shand. <laughs>